I want to say before we kind of get into the message, just a, a, a couple things, is we have been in this message called Disruptive, and it's all about the way that God kind of comes into our life, and he actually causes us by his Holy Spirit, his word, and through following Jesus, what it means to live against the current. Um, we live disruptively by living out values that are not common within the world that we live. And so we've been looking at the Beatitudes, and so as we go into Eastern, we have this great message this great disruptive message about the life and resurrection and power of God. We then are going to be going out of that for the next Sunday, and we will have Teen Challenge here sharing stories of what God is doing in their lives. And then the next few Sundays or so after that, we start a, a series called Be the Message. And I want you to be thinking about that whole idea of Be the Message because someone shared with you a message that, that brought a change into your life that helped you to know God and to know Jesus. And, and I would love for you to be thinking about that and, and writing in. If you would, again, I, I had a number of people. I asked them if they would write me some Beatitudes. And so I'm going to share with you some Beatitudes that people wrote for this series. And you've seen them on Facebook or if you've been watching in different places, we've had them up. Blessed are those who are quiet and listen, for they will hear God. It's not in the Bible, but it's a good Beatitude. Another one. Blessed are those who wait upon the Lord, for they will find him faithful. Blessed are those who send their pastor beatitudes, for they will be prayed for. (laughs) And blessed will you be if you send to me also some of those messages. Who was that message in your life? Blessed are those who forgive, for they will find freedom. And blessed are those who trust in who God says he is, for they can believe in who God says they are. We've got some um, pretty good writers in our body, in our midst. So I'm going to encourage you, if you would, please send me um, a story of, of who is that message to you? Because part of that response is now being the message to someone else. And we're going to look at what that means for us as a church. As we said, we want to begin to start saying, God, turn our eyes outside. Help us to look outward to what you are doing in our lives. I'm going to ask you if you would just bow in prayer with me. Father, thank you for this opportunity to pause every week um, to give you a moment where we together come and praise you and, and declare, sometimes when we don't even feel like it, we, we choose just to, to do what we know is good and right, and that's to, to tell you we love you and to say so in word and song and to do so by our actions of even showing up here. So God, you have seen and you know that we are people of need. Speak to us again, we pray through your word. In Christ's name, amen. So we're in this last beatitude, and specifically verses 11 and 12, which are not really part of the beatitudes, but it's this interesting look at, 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 at Jesus when at a certain point he gets done saying, here are the character qualifications of which you need to sign up to be a follower of me. I'm not telling you what you should do. I'm just saying this, if this gets into your heart, you will be like me. You will be one of my followers and then he turns and he says, blessed are you. And you'll you pay attention to that when we read this in just a moment. But one of the things that we talked about last week, and, and we need to talk again about when Jesus talks about persecution, because he says that kind of character will come under some kind of persecution. You will feel it to some degree. And we talked about throughout the world that's happening. And some of you may be uh, familiar with the two, two roads by the sea. There's a, a brochure, there's actually a, a track that's being sent throughout um, the Bible study of Egypt, put this together, that shows these two rows that we saw, one black and one orange, as they were led to their execution. 
And with it, there's a number of scripture, and in, in it is basically this, this verses of scripture that talk about the difference between those in orange and those in the black robes. And we look in the Middle East and we see incredible persecution right now. But we can see it around the world. There's persecution in India. I have a number of stories that, that I wrote down and, and I'm not going to be able to go through with you. But in India, they, there's a place where their Christians were persecuted just not too long ago in a, in a place called Orissa. And, and what happened was that afterwards, it was about six months or so afterwards, a group of them came together, widows and children of the district of that area where they were persecuted, where, where there were 100 deaths and 56,000 people displaced. And these people came together, these meetings of widows and children who had lost their fathers, who, who came together, these, these widows, due to the violence and spoke about their difficult life in face of the persecution as a group, and they made a commitment. It says, all the participants in the meeting, despite the suffering and difficulties, decided to adhere to the commandment of forgiveness. What makes people do that? In persecution in China, Christianity Today reported that in February 2014 that Christian persecution continues to rise in China. According to one pastor, he says, despite the continuing restrictions, the church remains optimistic. Even though the churches in China have had a difficult years, we don't lose heart. He says, in fact, oppositely, only such circumstances can churches be constantly purified, free of blemishes, mature and strong and prepared for even greater mission. And then there's this blog by a guy named Tom Nettleton who writes for the Voice of Martyrs and he, he just brings up stories of persecution so people can be in touch with actual lives. And so he decides to blog an a interview he had with a man in Nepal who was persecuted as a believer in Christ. And Nettleton writes, Last month I visited Nepal to meet with and interview persecuted Christians. One of the brothers we met was, was, was a young pastor. Now I'm trying to put myself into this place who'd been attacked by radicals just months before a visit. He was beaten up for trying to perform a Christian funeral and burial for a member of his church who died. I can't imagine that. I'm sure people might think that times when I'm doing a funeral. You know, get that guy. Anyway, um, but he says, Nettleton says, I want to share with you a portion of the conversation I had with this man who was attacked. And so Todd said, have you forgiven the people who beat you? And Brother S, can't give his name because of the potential problems that would come, says, yes, I forgave them. I forgive them. How? It's very difficult, he writes, Brother S says, to forgive anybody. When I was praying and I understood that I, have to, that I have to forgive, I was reading the Bible and the Lord says, if you don't forgive others, you will not be forgiven. So at the time, the words were pricking my heart because I have also done some other wrong things, some mistakes. So the Lord is working, so I have to forgive. The compulsion, says Brother S, was coming from my heart. And I said, okay, Lord, the Lord was speaking to me, forgive them. The Lord was speaking to his heart, and he was saying, forgive them. Those who attacked you, have come. they have to come to know the Lord. They have to come to know me also. And he says, the Lord is speaking to me. And then I said, yes, they have to come. I have to work with them. I have to be the message of Christ to them. So I said, okay, Lord, I forgive. And then Tom said, how long after the attack was it when you were able to forgive them? He said, for one week I couldn't sleep. But after a month, I could forgive. That's kind of how forgiveness works. It's, you know, it, it, it's a choice, but it takes time to process. And Nettleton makes this comment. One of the amazing things I find as I work with persecuted Christians is their ability to forgive those who attack and persecute them. 
And beyond even forgiveness, they show love, they pray for, and they bless those who attack them. And then he makes this little comment. Most Americans don't deal with persecution firsthand. We are not attacked for our faith, beaten for our beliefs, or forced to bury martyred family members. And I kept asking myself as I read these things, as I'm preparing this message, what would cause that kind of response? Jesus rode on a donkey to the cheers that soon be turned to cheer, jeers. Shouts of praise soon became shouts of crucify him. He was spit upon and mocked and insulted and slandered. And we celebrate this day, Palm Sunday, but we know that in just a short time, they turned against him. But think about this. Never once did Jesus answer any persecution with anything less than perfect love. That's amazing. When you feel offended by someone, what do you do? You emotionally withdraw. And we do it to our kids, we do it to our spouses, we do it to our friends. But he spoke respectfully to those who had planned his death. He prayed for those who had actually beat him. And he never reacted in anger. He never returned an insult with an insult. Peter says it really well. He says, to this you were called. So now he's speaking to the believers who are undergoing some persecution and some trial. He says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. This is what is expected of you and me. Now, we might not have perfect love, but we are to strive to move towards perfect love. And he says, we're to follow in his steps, and he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And what would cause that kind of response? And Jesus says, only a person, as we've been in this series disruptive, who actually has the character of these beatitudes, these blessings, beginning to be formed in their heart, will begin to move in that direction. Only a person who has been disrupted by these kind of truths begins to express that kind of love. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me because we're going to read these last two Beatitudes. I'm going to wake you up for a second, okay? Do your exercises now. Let's read this together. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thank you. You may be seated. So when persecuted, insulted, picked on, emotionally beat up, slandered, gossiped, maliciously treated, when you feel offended, when those things are going on, so let's just kind of dumb this down a bit. We're not gonna, many of us will not face the kind of persecution I'd read about, but you know what? We all have opportunities where we face insults, where we feel someone betrayed us, when we feel like someone has spoken negatively about us. We all have opportunities for us to respond in the way that Jesus did. All right? Happens all the time. All you have to do is be close to someone in a relationship with them. Whether it's your best friend, whether it's a person you've become very close to and you spend a lot of time with, or whether it be your spouse, or whether it be with children, or whether it be the person that you work with, 
Wherever it is, there's opportunities for you to live this out. So we don't really have the excuse to say, you know, we're not really persecuted like that, so this doesn't apply to us. It applies to you. Why is this person treating me the way they are? That's, you know, whining, but it's also persecution. Right? What did I do? What I want us to look at is there's opportunities, three of them that I want to speak specifically about when you come under this situation where you find yourself insulted, when you find someone speaking negatively about you, when you find yourself in some way betrayed, when you find yourself in this situation where you believe in your heart that you've been doing what is right. Now, I'm not talking about, remember last week we said there's things you can suffer for that are unrighteousness, but I'm talking about that you not self-righteously, but you know that you've been doing the best in, in moving it as best you can, acknowledging in humility your own sin, and, and you find yourself in this place. There's three opportunities I want to share with you and then three responses. And the three opportunities are pretty simple. The first one is this, you have the opportunity to live what you say you believe. You have the opportunity to live what you say you believe. Nothing causes you to find your life in God like being mistreated. When you find yourself mistreated, you find, well, I'm not going to really be looking for their approval. I'm not going to be trying to find their acceptance, although you might like that, but you realize it gives you the opportunity to live for God. In a sense, it allows for you to live in a place that you're really supposed to live, and that's in the presence of God and what he provides for you and what he pours into your heart. Jesus was never offended. Isn't that interesting? Because he took all those things to God and he allowed God to be his peace. Often when we're offended, there's a part of our flesh that's still available that's out there being offended. Jesus didn't have that to deal with. Perfectly God, perfectly man. And what you find here is that that when you're falsely accused, when you're unfairly treated, you quickly discover where your real life is. Where are you getting your life from? So one of the first things that we find, one of the great opportunities, it gives you an opportunity to live what you say you believe. Now, here's what I was thinking about when I was thinking about this message. If, you, if you've ever played a sport, or you, you've ever done a, a recital, or you've ever you've been in a position where you've been practicing something, well, you practice and you practice and you practice. Can you imagine these guys at March Madness, all the games that are going on that you guys are probably going to go home and, you know, looking forward to seeing? Can you imagine if all they ever did was practice, but they never had game day? All I'm saying is that when this happens, it's game day for us. We sit and we listen, we learn, we grow, we read the Bible, and we all these things, we know these things intellectually. Now it's the opportunity for taking that which is in our head, moving to our heart, and allowing our heart to express it in the life of someone else. It is an opportunity for you to live what you say you believe. And I look at that and I go, oh man, how often do I fail? But guess what? In God's economy, failure isn't what counts. Because he knows we are going to. He has grace for that. He just says, pick yourself up and continue to learn. Continue to draw on me. You will begin over time to live out. You'll get better. Someday you may show up at the big game where there's real persecution. Not saying that that's kind of our goal, but that was one time in history. You know, they wanted to be martyrs. It was a kind of an expression of the deepness of their faith. So it gives you the opportunity to say what you believe, to live what you believe what you've been saying all along. You have a choice. I, I love to give this illustration because it's one that I try and keep in mind and I just 
continually having to learn this, that we, we forget so often that we have these reactions, but we do have a choice. And, and all of us have the choice with regard to where we are at with the people that we're at to live in one or two places. You can be... Anybody know the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer? What's a thermometer do? Tells you the temperature, and it usually reacts to what's going on here and expresses what it is. What's a thermostat do? It sets the temperature. You see, in, in a situation where you come, you have the opportunity to live what you say you've been believing all along. You have the opportunity to actually, as you allow for God to work in your heart, and as game day actually shows up for you, you have the opportunity to now not be set by the temperature of that relationship, but actually to move into it, to bring heaven to earth in this sense, that you get to bring the values, the realities of what is true as you're living from heaven and you're experiencing what God is doing in your heart and you're receiving his acceptance you're not depending on that from anyone else you're able to through that that's what Jesus did all the time make a difference in the relationships all around you now a person may not like it they may get angrier and they may move away from it or they may be going well tell me what makes a difference how come you're not doing this to me how come you're not fulfilling the prophecy that I'm, you know, I expect you to reject me. I'm doing these things. In fact, they subconsciously could even be doing this. And God gives you the opportunity to live out what you always have said you believe and what you sing and what you come before God and say thank you on Sundays about. There's a, th- a second opportunity. You have the opportunity to grow in what you say you believe. Okay? Not only can you have it, it's game day, you get to live it out. Now it's an opportunity to grow. It's, it's God's opportunity to actually um, promote you to the next level of where he wants you to be. And it is kind of like that Groundhog Day. You'll just sometimes keep doing the same thing over and over again. I used to take my daughters out on, um, in the spring. And, and I did it when they were young before they understood I knew nothing about science. Um, I'd take them out for nature walks. And I would tell them about as much as I knew about nature. And it was always fun because we'd go down to this one place where this, especially in a rainier spring, there would be a little creek. And sometimes it would be, you know, flowing rather well. And we would call it the babbling brook. And we loved going down to the babbling brook. And every spring when we would go, depending again on how much rain, there would usually be some newly fallen log or something in the way of that brook and you would see what would happen is that the, the brook would have to kind of gain um, water to eventually, it would have to get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. It would grow deep until it finally would overpass that log. There is a sense that what God does through persecution, not only does he say it's game day, he also says, I'm going to use this to cause you to grow in an area of your life that you need to grow in so that I can promote you to do the next thing I want you to do. Kevin, you need patience. You just saying, oh, how wonderful it is to wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, and you'll get strength. But you can hardly wait two seconds. Anybody else have those kind of things going on? Now, I'm I'm kind of being a little superficial here because I'm talking about when you come into these kind of situations... Usually what happens is when you're in a persecution, it really feels deep or you're feeling offense. It's, because it's, it's not because of what just happened there. It's usually touching something very deep and wounded in you. And God goes, I want you 
to not react to this, but what I want to do is go deep and bring healing so that in that healing, as I go deep, I can move you to a new place where I can promote you past it. That's a great opportunity. That's something to actually give praise for. That's what God is doing in these situations. Well, you know, when you think about it, opposition is really good for us. It's good for children, right? Because if children have, didn't have some kind of opposition, they'd have to struggle in some ways they'd never learn. They grow and they have to solve a problem. When they encounter a difficulty and they master it, they actually develop a skill, correct? And we're just children in the eyes of God. You give a child a math problem, they solve it, and you've given them a skill, because that's how it works. They learn arithmetic, the, the basics of it, and then eventually they go to subtraction, and from subtraction they are promoted to a sense of multiplication, and then they come to the hard stuff of division and fraction, right? All that, that's just how you grow. Moms, I want you to think about this. The child who, is never, who never has to do anything for themselves. Think about that child. The child who has everything done for them. The child who never grows up, moms, what do you call them? Husbands, right? No. <laughs> no, no I, I kind of was waiting to do this joke all week. Anyway, <laughs> I was writing that and I thought, wow, what do you call them? You call them spoiled, helpless, weak. What do you think God calls the person who never really grows to the persecution where they have been injured or they have been hurt or they have been insulted or they have been betrayed, but they never grow beyond it. They never allow that to do the deep work it needs to do in their heart. We call them weak, immature, fleshly. A great opportunity here is not only you get to live what you say you believe, but you get to grow in what you say you believe so that God can use you in greater ways. It's just the way God works, just the same way we do with children. There's also the opportunity to show what you say you believe. You know, the word martyr is an interesting word. In the, in the Greek, years ago, it meant witness. It just meant witness. So if a, if a judge was to call out, he'd say to the consular, consular, you have another martyr, which means witness. Would you bring your, your martyr to the stand? Would you bring your witness to the stand? Well, within the first 150 years of the church, that word became a very specialized meaning, which happens often with words. That word martyr meant someone who would die for what they were witnessing for. They would actually come to mean someone who would die for a cause. But not just any cause. In the early church, it meant someone who would die for their belief in the reality of this God who had changed their life, and it was a witness to the world, and it would show the world who they truly put their faith and trust in. Because you, through this opportunity... When you find yourself insulted, when you find someone at work speaking in such a way about you, it is your opportunity to do this in a righteous and good way. I'm not saying if someone does it, you don't sit down with them and you have a conversation with them. But if they choose not to do anything about it, your job is not to go back and to react to it. Your job is to begin to show what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And you have an opportunity to witness so the second thing I want to talk about is when we are mistreated and insulted and unfairly attacked, how does Jesus say to respond? He gives three, and, and there's more that we could look at here, but three specifically that I want to talk about. And I've, I've used the words that reign, rejoice, and release love. Those are the three things. We're called to reign, 
to rejoice and release love. And to get the idea of reigning, it comes from the verse that um, is in verse 10 where he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Basically, that's where you're at. Remember we said in the first, when it says, blessed are those who are poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We begin with the Beatitudes with, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and we close this with, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because the poorness, the humility is what is the entrance point. If you are going to experience the reality of God in your life, it comes through humility. It comes through an understanding of, your, of who you are before God. And then it moves to a place, as you begin to allow those characteristics to develop in your heart, it moves you to a place where now, when you find yourself, even in persecution for doing what you know is right and good, it allows you to be in a place where now you're enjoying the kingdom of God. You're actually reigning with God. You have the resources of God at your fingertips in that sense. See, our human nature, what what comes natural to us is not to reign, but to react. It's not to respond, to think thoughtfully through and allow this supernatural life begin to flow through us. Our response is to react because what happens so often, if you pay attention to just what human growth and development is like, and Jesus was an incredibly bright guy, I've said that again and again, right? Really understood what it meant for people to grow and to become like him. He understood that we would have wounds, and when it would hit, it would hit a bruise deeper than us, and it would hurt, and our reaction would be to hit back. That's just natural. But as the character of Christ is formed in you, and you begin to have the supernatural of life of Jesus formed in you, in time, not immediately, in time, as you actually take those steps, you begin to live up to that higher nature rather than that lower nature of reaction. Right? You actually reign with the person that God has made you to be, a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God. And you begin to remember that you're above the behavior of a natural commoner. Not in a proudful way, but in a way that Jesus released life to you. You see that in the story of David and Saul. I could give you examples there where where David was promised that he would be king, and because of that promise, that promise, God will promise you something. The promise in in your life that God has given you is something he calls you to hold on to because when he gives you that promise, it's, it's what helps you through the difficult times. So he knew he would be king. So when Saul attacked him, he didn't have to react because he knew that it was in God's hands. He stood above it. He knew where his true identity was. So here you have this, is this idea that you're above it. You are reigning now with God. You are now re, um, living in the resources. And you do that as it happens. It becomes more of a habit. So let me just ask it this way. Parents, how do you respond to your child's anger tantrum? Think about it for a second. When your four-year-old reacts and throws a fit, when they tell you that they hate you, do you stoop down their level and go, oh, and you start hating them back and, and you start throwing a fit? Well, some parents do, because I've seen it in grocery stores, right? But you want to just say, grow up to your authority as a parent. Don't go there. Because we're called to respond to this nature that's above that, which really means that it, you, you don't do it naturally. It happens supernaturally as you begin to walk in this life. And you choose to trust God. So that eventually you won't be a slave to your fears and reactions, but you will begin to actually live out this truth that you reign with God. In the same way you don't get all bent out of shape when a child hates you or threatens you or acts in anger towards you, also when you're mistreated by another, you need not react. It's like you go, you know what? I, I, I understand there must be something really painful in their life. 
I don't need to stoop down to that. So you reign with God, you rejoice with God. There's all kinds of reasons to rejoice. We already talked about it because it gives you game day, you're living it. Um, We've talked about the fact that it gives you an opportunity to grow. There's a coming promotion. We talked about the fact that you get to show it, you get to witness, you get to tell, you get to show someone else the love of God. But here's another one. He talks about your reward being in heaven, which is something that we, that we experience in, in that we think about that in the eternal sense, but we can also think about it now, that God, the reward is that he gives you what, he need, what you need right now. And then he makes a statement, which is kind of interesting. He says, rejoice because you are being treated like the prophets of old. Rejoice because just as the prophet suffered, so will you suffer. In reality, he's saying, guess what? You're like one of those prophets. That should be a compliment. You should kind of go, wow, that's pretty cool. Now, I, I was thinking about this again as I was kind of praying about it. I'm thinking and, and walking one day, and, and I got thinking to myself, just again, and sports analogies come up somewhat easy to me, so I, I hope that's okay. But if you're playing in, in a um, basketball game, let's say, and the coach finds out, you're this great offensive player, and the coach finds out the best defensive player is going to be against you, and he says, I heard that so-and-so is guarding you. Does the guy go, oh, man, how rotten that is, man, I can't believe that. It's a compliment. If you're a really good pitcher and a coach says to you, hey, you're going to be pitching in starting day, and you find out you're pitching against their best guy, you don't go, oh, well, you, you can't, that's a compliment. There's a real sense he's saying that when you find yourself, rejoice. Because if you find yourself suffering for doing what you know is right and good, that's just how they treated all the good pitchers and and, and offensive players and all the old prophets. Does that make sense? Rejoice. It shows that the character of God that I've been talking about in these Beatitudes is actually showing up in your life. And what they call a person like that is holy, godly, a prophet. And the last is he says this. Not only rejoice, and there's all kinds of reasons to rejoice, but he says release love. And this is why I want to make it really practical for you. Some of you need to maybe say, okay, I've got to stop stooping down to that kind of behavior. God, start teaching me to choose, not to react. Use this time to say, God, what's underneath this? Don't just try and white-knuckle it. What's underneath this that causes this response? Do I need some healing in my life around this? Choose this time not only when you say, I'm going to reign, but to rejoice and look at all the reasons for rejoicing and then realize that if this is happening, you go rejoice because it's a compliment. It means you're actually becoming like this. And then he says, release love. Real practical. If you look at Matthew 5, 44, verse 44, it, it, it's, this, it's basic instructions on how to do this. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, here's the three, you know, the real easy ways to do it. He goes on and he says, bless those that curse you. So bless. Write this down if you're taking notes. Do good to those that hate you and pray for them who despitefully use and persecute you. There's those three things. Here's what love looks like practically. Bless is what you do with your words. If you're in a situation right now and you know that your words are coming out not in ways that are helpful and positive, then you're not loving. He says do good. 
Do those, those are expressions of goodness. And then he says pray. I, I really think to pray for someone truly out of your heart is, is one of the deepest, most incredible things you can do. It calls for you to get into this heart place where you say, God, I just really would pray you'd come around this person and help them, help them in this situation. They must be hurting. Something's going on. But let me just share with you the do good. One of the things they find so often in, in the way people change is if you're really going to change, it's not just about intent, it's about habits you build in. It's the actual doing of something that changes things. Jesus is so practical. So one of the things I just encourage you to think about, if you're in a situation like that, it's about blessing, and then secondly, begin to do actions of good. Go out of your way and figure out how can I do this, not in a corny way, but in a way that really expresses my heart and is meaningful. And then move to a place where you just communicate with God and pray. I'm going to ask the team if they would lead us in this last song of worship. Let's stand together.